Hi, this is Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for jumping into our podcast. Over the next three months, our new series is called Lineage, and we're going to walk through major characters of the Old Testament from Abraham all the way to Daniel and understand the movement of the nation of Israel. This is important because it's part of our lineage. Our lineage isn't just made up of our ethnic or national identity, but as Christians, it's primarily this Old Testament story. Abraham is the father of our faith. And in Ephesians, we learn that God is making one people, Jewish and Gentiles, into the story of lineage, of how God has called a people to himself. So I hope that as you read the Old Testament, it wouldn't just be stories of dead old Jewish guys, but you would look at it as your own ancestry, as part of your story and the story that we're continuing. Hope you enjoy our new series. Well, I hope your guys' discussion was exciting and maybe you got a few good stories out of it. I asked that partially because just a couple weeks ago, Jonathan and I were cleaning out the garage like a good COVID project. And we came across um, a lot of fun things. One, like his whole his old yearbook where he was voted um, Prettiest Smile. Isn't that cute? Uh, and also a 100-year-old baseball that belonged to his grandfather who played professionally in the minor leagues. And so um, that was pretty cool. I didn't dig around long enough to find anything juicy. Um, or maybe I did, and I just don't want to announce it on the World Wide Web, you know? But, um, but when we think about our family tree, when we think about our family tree of faith, this lineage series that Kevin talked about, um, there's some really interesting folks there. And so far, we've talked about the men that Kevin mentioned, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses. And you'll notice that all of these are male. They are, they are all descendants of Abraham all part of the nation of Israel that God was building and blessing. But when we look at Jesus's lineage, when we start with Jesus and we look back, it's not necessarily a very clean line from Abraham to Jesus. In his lineage are women. And not just that, but foreign women, non-Jewish women. And that may not sound very exceptional to us, but certainly to the first century uh, Christians and Jews when it was first written, that was appalling even. So what we can take from that is that our faith is not always going to find into clean lines and predictable boundaries. God flips that on his head throughout our history. So if we can't trust in predictable clean lines and boundaries, what can we trust in? when we look at the lineage of our faith. Well, I believe that we can trust in God himself, his goodness, and his provision, and what we're going to talk about today, his promises. And that brings us to introducing Rahab, who I get the privilege of talking about today. And through Rahab, we are learning to trust in God beyond our circumstances. So we're going to be reading Joshua 2, and that is really the biggest portion of scripture where we find Rahab. She's only mentioned a few times throughout the Bible. And um, and we're going to go through the whole chapter two of the book of Joshua. And so I'm going to read some of the portions um, 
And I'm just going to storytell part of it, but please follow along um, yourself as well. So we're going to start um, with verse 1 through 2, and I have it on the slide. It says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. So there is actually more than meets the eye in this passage. It's more than just two guys entering a prostitute's house. It's actually more interesting than that. So the context leading up to this time, Joshua, the leader that is sending the spies, he is uh, the new leader of Israel following Moses. And Israel is um, God's people. And like Kevin had mentioned before, they are God's people because of a promise, because of a covenant that God made with Abraham. And in this covenant, God was basically saying, I am choosing you to have a relationship with, to become a great nation, and to inhabit a great land. He wasn't choosing Israel because he was playing favorites, but he chose the, Israel of, the nation of Israel um, to become a blessing to others. So Israel has long awaited this moment to inherit this promised land. And those verses that we just this just read, the spying suggests that maybe they are beginning to doubt this promise. And they have waited and they have suffered and they have wandered as they have waited. But first, before they inherit this land, there is another detour after a long journey of other detours, and that's Jericho. And that's where we find Rahab and the Canaanite people. So the Canaanite people were so other. They were a people outside of God's rule, outside of God's promise. They worshiped other gods, and they were known for extreme immoral living. Even their worship practices we would consider very immoral. Their army, unlike the ragtag group of volunteers that made up Israel's army, was large and well-funded. And these are the people that are currently inhabiting the land given by God to the Israelites. And I say given, past tense, because that's the way God describes it, that the deed is already done. He has already given them the land. Israel only needs to trust in him for his provision. So back, back to the juicy story. Um, in the next verse, it says that the king of Jericho finds out about these spies, and he sends his own men to Rahab's to find these spies. So we'll jump in. Again, you can read along on the slide, verses 4 to 6. And it says, But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, this, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, it was time to close the city gate. They left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. So Rahab here lies to the king's men at great risk to herself. This is treason. And... After hiding the spies, she sends the king's men on a wild goose chase. So why does she do this? And so far, the passage itself doesn't tell us anything about Rahab's motives and why she might be doing this. So we're going to keep going, verses 8 to 11. 
says, before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sahon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, is God in heaven above and on the earth below. So this is huge. Two things are happening here. One, a Canaanite prostitute is giving a detailed and powerful testimony of the power of and works of Israel's God. And two, she's telling Israel that they have certain victory, that they will surely be victorious over the Canaanites because they are melting in fear before them. So this confession of faith from Rahab doesn't seem like it's just something that she needs to get off her chest. So what is it that Rahab wants? And we find out when we keep reading in verses 12 to 13, she says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. So Rahab wants God's protection for her and her family. For her, a Canaanite prostitute, Interestingly, Rahab must think that this God of Israel is not only powerful enough to destroy, but gracious enough to protect. What kind of God is this? So we ask, like, what is God going to do with Rahab? And as we read along, if you see it in verse 14, the spies agree to make an oath, there's another promise, before the Lord with Rahab for her protection. Rahab gives the spies instructions on how to get out for a safe exit, and the spies give Rahab instructions on the oath to ensure her safety. And it looks like this. They say, don't tell anybody, stay in your house with your family, and tie a scarlet cord outside of your window so that when we see it, we know to spare your household. So they're in the position now that if they don't follow each other's instructions, they will surely die. Why would they trust each other? There is no reason for either of them to trust in their enemy's word. All circumstances point to reasons for doubt and distrust. But we can see that God is at work here in this very interesting meeting. He is calling each of them to lean on his promises more than their circumstances. So when we see the way this passage wraps up, verse 23, we see that the spies arrive safely back to Joshua. Looks like Rahab to this point has kept her word. And the spies give Joshua a report on their mission. And that's the very last verse of this passage. In verse uh, 24, it says, The spies, they said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. So the spies are using Rahab's very own words as the assurance they wanted that God has indeed given them the land. So how does it all wrap up? What about the promises? What happens to Rahab? Well, a few chapters later in Joshua chapter 6, we see that the Israelites do indeed inherit the land, and they bring Rahab into the fold of God's people. And that's the end of the story.
she's mentioned briefly a couple times in the New Testament, but that's the last we're hearing from her. And so as we finish reading that story, I feel like we could misunderstand or maybe even misapply a story like this. We might be looking, what Bible hero am I supposed to emulate here? And I think we need to be careful that we don't make this series about that. We could just as easily walk through our family lineage and show all of the shame. Our church history has plenty of shame. Israel has plenty. Each person we are highlighting has tons of sinful baggage, and we don't want to ignore it, even if that's not what we're highlighting. So kind of to like bullet point through it, Israel, not the hero. Rahab, not the hero. Even in their great faith, they are not the hero. So in our updated uh, contemporary view, the church, the Christian church, not the hero. God's people, we are not the hero. Young, new believer taking great steps, great steps for kingdom work. You are not the hero. Joshua, the leader of God's people. So Christian leaders, spoiler alert, Joshua is next week. Uh, not the hero. So let's take another look instead. Instead of looking for heroic qualities to emulate, let's instead look, what do we have in common? What about this story is mirrored in my own soul? And specifically, ask this. And there's a question on this slide about this. What about this passage reveals my own brokenness and need for rescue? It's basically asking, what do I learn about me? What points me to Jesus? So those questions kind of summarize, point to this. It's our tendency to lack trust in God's promises to us, especially when life circumstances feel out of control. But just as God fulfilled his promises to Israel and Rahab, we can trust without fear the promises God has made to us through Christ, our hope. So digging a little deeper, that first question is, where in this passage do I see my own brokenness? What about this passage reveals my own brokenness and need for rescue? What does this tell us basically about humanity? Well, like Rahab, like the Canaanite people, we are facing death. Death is a sure thing for all of us. And it used to be that for the young and the healthy, we didn't really think that way or we felt like we could avoid that topic, but not for the past year. At this point, I think we all know someone who has been tragically, maybe even fatally, affected by COVID. Just um, two days ago, actually, I attended a funeral for my uncle who died due to complications of COVID. And you know, it's not just COVID, the disease itself, but the aching and the anxiety that has caused in so many. A few months ago, I attended a funeral from a former student that I had discipled who, um, who took her own life when the weight of this world was just too much for her heart and her broken mind riddled with mental illness to take. You know, even if it wasn't a coronavirus pandemic, um, you know, this past summer, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. And thankfully now she is cancer-free, praise God. 
But I say all those things because we all know someone, right? We are not far from the taste and the reminder of death. And those are just a few stories. And just from my point of view, I can only imagine what stories I might know if I peeked into the life of each of you. We know we cannot pretend, we cannot positive think our way out of illness and death. Like Rahab, like the Canaanite people, we are faced with the reality of brokenness, sin, and death all around us. And I think about that phrase that she said, maybe even for us, some days our hearts are melting in fear because of it. And I think beyond the reality of physical death and the fear that comes with it, there's spiritual death. It's the the guilt or condemnation we experience as a result of our separation from God. Like Rahab and the Canaanite people, we are an immoral people. I don't know what you think about when I say that. I don't know what goes on in your mind. I don't know what you've been feasting your eyes on or what thoughts have consumed you or what's come out of your mouth, or what you've tried to like stuff down and pretend is not there, but I know what it is for me. I know that there are ways that we all feel unacceptable and filthy and exposed and guilty before God. Maybe, like Rahab, you think God is somebody else's God, not yours. You are too far gone. Or maybe, like on the flip side, like Israel... We can know God, we can know his promises, we can say, oh, I've been a Christian since, fill in the blank. But we can forget him and his promises, we can doubt, we can constantly be wandering and wondering, okay, God, I know you're good, I know you're there, I know I can quote all these things about you, but what is this? What is, what's going on in my life? When is this going to change? Why God? Where God? How God? So like Rahab and Israel, we are in desperate need of assurance from God. We want assurance that 2021 is going to be better than 2020. But let's ask, what does God actually promise? And what is his assurance? When we look at that passage, we see Rahab needed an oath for assurance. Her life depended on it. Israel needed Rahab's inside formation. Their future depended on it. So what is God's promise to us so many years and generations later? And what assurance do we have that what he promises, he will do? And this is where we ask ourselves the second important question. We ask ourselves the first one, how does this passage reveal our own brokenness? And so we do. We see our brokenness mirrored throughout scripture, even in the heroes. Now we ask, how does this story point us to Christ? How do I see Christ's redemptive work as the answer to this brokenness that I'm experiencing. Really, in short, what do we learn about God? You know, there are so many hints and glimpses of Christ in this passage, and really throughout the whole Old Testament. Rahab reminds us of Christ in her sacrifice and the way she stood between um, the death of the spies and the king. Um, She reminds us of our need for rescue, Um, when she depends on the red cord hanging out her window as the key of her own rescue from death. And, you know, that crimson cord reminds us as we look back um, of Christ's blood on the cross 
for Israel, when they see a crimson cord like that and they look back, it reminds them of the Passover. But mostly what I want to focus on here is how this points us to Christ is focusing on the promise. So remember the covenant or promise I mentioned earlier? We refer to it as the old covenant because there is a new covenant. It's a new promise, and the new promise is a person. The new promise is Jesus himself. This passage is a foreshadowing of the new covenant. And each person we have studied so far, as I've said, in some ways felt like a nice, clean fit into God's promise because they were Jewish. They were descendants of Abraham, a part of the nation that God was building and blessing. But Rahab was a Gentile. She was an outsider, a non-Jew, an enemy. So how is this a foreshadowing of the new covenant? The theme verse that Kevin shared earlier that we've shared every week, Ephesians 2.15, um, is a glimpse of that. But I'd love to, to go back just a couple verses before that. So if we look at Ephesians 2, verses 12 and 13, we get a glimpse of why this passage is a foreshadowing to Jesus. So verse 12 and 13, it says, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Doesn't that sound like Rahab and the Canaanites? And then it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So how does this passage point to Christ as a remedy of our brokenness? Through the blood of Christ. We have been brought near. We have been given hope. We have been made clean. So if we take that truth as our own, that foreshadowing, that glimpse of what Christ would fully do later on the cross, if we receive that as ours, what does that mean for us today? It at least means the following. Because Christ is our assurance, we can fearlessly trust that God will accept us. That feeling of the distance, that spiritual death between us and God. Well, we are no longer guilty and exposed and fearful as we face this world and face even our internal reality. But we are covered and clean because we are hidden in Christ. He is our assurance. Our identity is wrapped up and hidden in his. So God accepts us as he accepts his son. So if you feel unacceptable, to Jesus. Rahab is a perfect person to look to, our hero of faith, if you will. And not because of her greatness, but because of her trust in the greatness of God. And God didn't just accept and tolerate her. He used her, platformed her, welcomed her into the family of God, literally. Her family line leads to Jesus himself, and she's actually mentioned later in Hebrews with some of the greats for their faith. So as we wrap up, there are a couple of invitations before us today, and both are an act of trust. So like Rahab, there is an invitation to receive the promise. Remember, the new promise, the new covenant, is a person, Jesus himself. If you have never received the promise of God's love and divine rescue through Jesus, you can begin your journey of receiving and trusting in his promises, even today. We have assurance of his acceptance no matter what, no matter if you look like a moral hero 
or a Canaanite prostitute. Also, like Israel, there's an invitation here to remember the promise. If you received the promise of God, if you have received the salvation that Jesus offers, you've received this love and forgiveness, but maybe you find yourself in a perpetual place of doubt or fear or wandering, you can choose to remember and renew today. And you know that's often what our act of taking communion is, and we'll do that together in a little bit. We remember and renew what Jesus has done on our behalf. We pray, Lord, I believe. Help me remember. Help my unbelief. And for all of us, it's an invitation to open our eyes. And I love this. I feel like this is important. It's to open our eyes so we don't miss the unlikely ways God might show up in perfect providence. In the story today, it came behind enemy lines. That's where God's providence showed up. In the face of someone we would normally fear or judge or discredit. And you know, this whole story, this whole chapter in Joshua 2, the whole mission of the spies, it wasn't actually necessary for their victory. Doesn't seem like a necessary passage to include in scripture, yet it is. Because God had already delivered the city into their hands. Remember, given past tense, they just needed to trust. So what that tells me, what that tells us is Rahab wasn't just a necessary tool in God's plan. She was a necessary person in the kingdom. She was a necessary person in God's family. God is patient, not wanting any to perish, but that all come to repentance. So that includes the one that we think is too far gone, and that includes you. I'd love to pray for us. God, I do think about the ways that this passage penned years and years ago um, has so much to tell us about our own life and has so much to remind us about your awesome and redemptive work on the cross. Will you help us today, maybe if we've never really received your promise by faith, we've never received Jesus, your sacrifice for us, Um, would you help us to, um, by faith, surrender no matter what our life looks like and trust um, that your blood and your sacrifice on the cross gives us hope and gives us a family, no matter what. And for those of us that maybe know this passage and many others, forwards and backwards, and we've been around church forever, but maybe feel dry or wandering or doubting or fearful, would you help us to remember the significance um, of your promise, of your faithfulness to us? Um, Would you surprise us like you continue to do throughout scripture and you continue to do today? Would you remind us of your goodness and the hope we have in you? Thanks for your word. Thanks for our acceptance into your family. In Jesus' name, amen.